There's a scene in the Gospel of Mark where a father who was desperate to see his son healed says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I think this proclamation has been at the center of my faith journey, paradoxically following Jesus in belief and unbelief. I grew up the son of a pastor, left the church when I was 13 years old, and I rediscovered my faith when I learned it was okay to live in the tension of hope and doubt. I found myself drawn initially to the idea of starting faith communities because I dreamt of cultivating spaces to help spiritual nomads rediscover and reimagine their faith amid hope and doubt, just as I had done. My journey starts in the home of a pastor, my mother. I remember from the youngest days in church wrestling with questions of faith, or at least, you know, the kind of questions that a five-year-old can ask. I have always felt uncomfortable with prepackaged answers about faith filled with false syllogisms and false dichotomies. Regardless of my doubt, I have always been hungry to know God. It was often the inadequacies of how God was presented to me that left me wondering and wandering further and further away from any semblance of faith that I could hold on to. But to quote Tolkien, not all who wander are lost. What I discovered along the way is that hope and doubt, belief and unbelief are merely two sides of the same coin when it comes to faith. Doubt creates the necessary space for hope. This is a lesson I can only learn in the wilderness as a spiritual nomad. It is in the wilderness where I learned the sacredness of questions. It is in the wilderness that questions were transformed from dangerous into the sacrament that drew me into the mystery of Jesus. There is a theory of education that says there are three types of learners. And a type one learner is very black and white. It's like, just give me the answers. Type two is where questions are introduced, but type two is a volatile space that cannot be lived in. Most people revert to back to type one, either in the affirmative or negative position. But some move on to what we call type three. And it's in this space where you learn to live in the tension of the questions. Questions are no longer about getting answers, but about learning to ask new and better questions. In order for the tension to exist, you need at least two points. Belief and unbelief, doubt and hope become those points for us as we learn to ask new and better questions, as we live out the sacrament of questions. I was sitting with a friend the other day and gave her a quick rundown of the message that, were, that I was planning for today. And she said it reminded her of lilies. Lilies emerge from the mud and there's a tendency to want to pick them out right away from the mud, but to do so is to kill the flower. Lilies, in all their beauty, coexist in the muck and the mire. The lily growing out of the mud is not how we would set it up. Just take a look at our greenhouses. They are well-kept, clean, and devoid of extra mess. This is why the lily embodies spiritual growth so well. It draws life out of muddy surroundings. Stepping into this passage in particular, we are witness to two groups of people who have fallen into the soil and their struggle to turn the soil into mud. Two who will experience growth as they are driven by the potential loss of the things they love. A father faced with a son that he cannot save, with a love that proves impotent to bring life back to his boy, seeks out holy men and leans into his tradition. Yet the disciples are unable to help. He looks towards Jesus and admits doubt, faces the impotence of belief and says, I believe, help my unbelief. Thereby asking the question, does belief even matter in the face of a life I cannot save? At the end of the story, the disciples are walking away, unsure of what to do with a faith 
that is ineffectual. They have embodied their traditions. They have said their prayers and yet nothing happened. What has brought them here cannot take them to where they need to go. And so they turned to Jesus and asked, why couldn't we cast it out? The circumstances are the soil that brings life, but the mechanisms of growth is the sacrament of questioning. The ability for us to see the story that has brought us here, the impotency, the, the places that were let down and ask, is there a new or better way? And how do we reach it? If you notice, we're doing the sermon a little bit differently today because we want to be able to talk about one of the virtues of Phos, which is the sacrament of questioning. For that, we're going to do it from within the community as we sit in a round table with Megan, Carl, and myself to be able to try to unpack for folks what it looks like to be able to enter into the state of question. Megan had pointed out that there was stages of faith development, if you'd like to unpack that a little for us. Yeah. Um... Immediately when I heard this story, it made me think of something a mentor had told me a long time ago about uh, the different stages of faith development. Um, there are many different people that come up with different theories on how this works. Um, this one in particular was it's called Fowler's Faith Development Theory. Um, and Fowler outlined six different steps after interviewing many different types of people um, who are people of faith um, across different faiths worldwide, um, and he was able to identify these specific stages that seem to be um, consistent in every person as their faith developed. Um, and I'm not going to bother you with all six stages, but there are two of them that particularly uh, stand out um, and helped me sort of understand what it meant to question in regards to my faith. Um, stage three, uh, Fowler calls the stage of synthetic faith. Um, this stage is often marked by conformity, mirroring, and mimicking things that the person of faith sees either within their faith community, within the person of authority within their faith community. Uh, they want to be able to regurgitate the right phrases. They want to be able to say the right words because that makes them feel like they are in the right place. Um, and this isn't to knock down anybody who was in that stage of faith. But often uh, that stage, um, the person is not has not yet fully come into the faith being their own. It's often something they've inherited from their community. They've inherited from whoever it is that they uh, first knew when they came to faith. Now, stage four is called the uh, individual or reflective stage of faith. Um, and this is the next stage after the synthetic faith stage. Um, this one is marked by questioning, resistance, deconstruction, um, and this is when your faith often becomes your own. For people in stage three, when people move to the stage where you're, it's marked by questioning, it often seems like they're sliding away from their faith. Uh, but when they move into the questioning stage, they're actually moving forward. And it can be really uncomfortable to be in that space because all the things you know seem to fall apart. Um, but it's actually the space where your own uh, faith, the time where you take ownership of what you believe sort of comes to light. Oh, I have a question for that is in this as one, this sounds like something that would be almost cyclical that um, once you go through this individual reflective part, it might move back to a idea of conformity or consistency that you'll then come into other stages of questioning. Yes. Um, so there is an 
order to these stages, but um, I think the creator of these uh, this theory often mentioned that you kind of jump from different stages depending on circumstances that happen mm -hmm. in your life, um, events that sort of completely change your worldview that make you jump to an earlier stage. Um, sometimes you feel paralyzed by the questioning, so it's really easy to go back to the way it was before with just wanting to conform and say the right things, the things that you were told was the right way to think. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it does have a cycle to it, and it's very dynamic and fluid. We're not always just strictly moving forward. Hmm, that's good. Because it, it, it sounds very much very similar to like the three types that I, that I laid out as well, right? Like I see that kind of like you can overlay them on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's yeah, it's interesting how like that conversation around faith tends to be more fluid than fixed, right? Like people don't necessarily move in a linear progression. It's like one step forward, ten steps back, and so on and so mm -hmm. on. So yeah, that's really that's really cool. And I, I'd say in this, it might be important to note that that experience of moving will feel like a loss because when you move from a certainty to a questioning, and let, like within our story. These were losses driven by things they loved for the disciples stepping into the new kingdom, um, thinking they're going to be ruling with Jesus. They were losing a certain aspect of what they thought was the power that they possessed. For the father looking at his son, he just wanted the ability to help the son. His tradition, he thought, would be able to do it, but he had to sit there and say, my tradition can't in this moment. So even for us, we'll experience a certain profound loss in this moment that moving towards questioning will feel uncertain, will feel scary, um, which is why I'd say, especially in this round table, it's why we do it in community still. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great point. Cause I think like there's kind of like, like what you're talking about with the, like the synthetic phase, um, which is like a faith that's kind of handed down the faith that it's the faith that the community handed you and it can only go so far. It's the point of the story that gets kind of lost along the way. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that like, on one sense, it's the faith of the community, but we have to transition to make it our own faith, but it happens in the safety of community, right? Like it's, it's this yeah. kind of interesting play with, with, with how, how things work. And I know for myself, like reality is I'm not in the community I was in when I was five years old asking questions about my faith. Um, but it wasn't until I, I found myself back in community that I found myself growing in healthy ways again because it was like like when you find yourself deconstructing on your own it can lead you down a rabbit hole that's a really dark place right and it's like that community that that brings life and growth even if even if the community doesn't necessarily fully understand where it is that you're questioning from like just to be able to do it in community have people reflect back to you like i know like 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 i speak like you know having a friendship with glenn and there's times where glenn's like Carl, uh, what you said there sounds uh, like you dot, 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 and, and and called me out on it. Like, he just doesn't, like, it's like, you know what I mean? But it's it's because of those moments that I, I saw myself grow in, in healthy ways where the questions, like, I, I didn't necessarily have resolution. It wasn't like, wow, I found my answer. My faith is awesome now. I know everything about Jesus. It was really about, man, I have these deep questions and I don't know, and I, and I don't know what to do with them, but and keep inviting me back to community because my, my ten, like the tension is always good. I think the tension, it's almost like that, that, that elastic band pull type thing. And the tension wants to kind of slowly remove you from community. And we, and our ten, our tendency is going to be to drift out and we got to find our way to like the community draws us in, invites us in and, and it helps us to wrestle through it. So, yeah, thank you. Right. I think the act of questioning in itself um, is showing you that the information that you currently have on your own is not 
enough. And there is a limit to how much we can answer for ourselves. Um, so the act of questioning is almost an external act. It's a reaching out uh, for others to come in and to bring their story and perspective um, into your into your life. So I'd be curious, um, would you guys then say the act of questioning, if it's a reaching out, um, sometimes when we question the first thing that Carl mentioned, it's, like, it's not like he had an answer now. So the act of questioning shouldn't look like, how do I resolve the tension and get a new answer? But it could be met as a healthy way, as faithfulness is the response to the community. As you question and you feel like you're getting drawn out, that it's the act of faithfulness, the togetherness that actually helps us move through that. And we see that with the disciples. They ask the question, Jesus almost gives a glib answer, but keeps walking with them because faithfulness resolves the tensions that we experience in faith. Right. Mm, I like that. Faithfulness results tension. It's awesome. Nice little tweetable moment. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're stepping into the next the next part, a question that we wanted to be able to center around is sometimes this act of questioning can feel like we're just trying to operate from a hermeneutic of suspicion. That we say the sacrament of questioning is meaning we don't believe in anything or we don't move towards anything. We just say, oh, we we can question. When we see in the passage, especially with the disciples at the end, when they tried to act in faithfulness and their prayers are unanswered and Jesus gives kind of a glib response that it was motivated by a sense of loss of something valuable. So how do we embody that within the community, not just questioning for the sake of question, but we actually question from something deeply personal, that sense of loss, the sense of vulnerability toward the tradition may have left us, failed us, but there, there's something that actually is absent that we're moving to resolve. Hmm. That's good. Do you have any thoughts, Megan? Yeah. Um, I think just my immediate thought would be that we have to make sure that we don't value the answer over the question itself. Um, I think sometimes we can get focused on just creating an answer that satisfies the question without actually sitting with the pain and tension that's inherent in the question itself, um, the, the broken humanity that's sitting within the question. Um, and I think we also have to make space for doubt and we have to take off that negative stigma that's sometimes attached with the feelings of uncertainty, unbelief, and doubt. Um, and that's what's so beautiful about the story is that the father, um, when responding to Jesus, he doesn't pretend that he doesn't still have unbelief and he mm -hmm. doesn't pretend that faith isn't still holding on in there. He authentically recognizes that he's in both of those liminal spaces at the same time and that that's okay. That was enough uh, for him to have both of those things. And, and sometimes just having hope for belief to come um, is okay. And I think normalizing that within our communities can keep us just from sort of idealizing suspicion, but mm -hmm. also making room to to hold each other in loss that often mm -hmm. comes with and follows with questions. No, that's good. So if I'm hearing you well, um, one of the ways we move into the space is actually not rushing to resolve anything, like almost saying that this is not just um, acceptable, it's not just a tolerated space, but it's valuable space to sit in. Yes. That's yeah, good. It's important. That's good. Yeah. And I, I would say that faith create gives like, or 
doubt actually gives us the necessary space for hope, right? Like, because if we, if we don't have doubt, then, then what we're holding on to is some sort of certainty. And as we know, like certainty is actually a very uncertain thing. It's, it's something that actually doesn't exist. And so we want, we want doubt, actually. We want that, that, that piece of skepticism because it creates the necessary space for hope to happen. I think it was uh, Peter Rollins that said, like, like, the, like, if I break my arm, the last thing I want is a true believer to be around me, somebody that is absolutely certain about how my arm should be fixed. It's like, I want someone who has doubt and they're going to they're gonna examine the arm. They're going to look at it. They're going to be like, um, well, buddy, you need a cast. You know what I mean? After going through x-rays and stuff, but that like true believer, let me just keep laying hands on it. Let me set the bone for you. Let me do it like, and they're, they're certain already about how to do it. And it's like, I don't want a true believer when it comes to like, like laying that out. And I, and I think like that notion that has to do with our faith and questioning mm. is like when we, when we create, when we create that space for doubt, it actually opens up that space for hope and for healing and for possibility and all those different things to actually happen. It becomes the soil in a sense, or the mud and the mire in which the lily can actually come forth. And so that's how I, I would hold it. Like, like the loss actually creates the space for the potential of something new. I actually like what you pointed to there for the sake of creating space for our doubt, because the, the disciples have certainty which led to their question of why could we not? But their certainty didn't bring relief to the father hoping his son could have life. That creating room for our doubt actually creates room for other people's growth because they can enter into that space with us. That liminal space becomes invitational then to where the certainty, like you said, is someone trying to uh, grab your broken bone and say, no, no, I've heard stories. Let me just, it's going to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah which hurts a lot for the object of your actions. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes um, I've even seen it where they'll say you're, you're healed, even though the bone is still broken. They'll just say, no, you're just, you're healed. You're healed in another sense. You're healed on a, in another world, another plane or dimension, but there's still the brokenness there. And I think mm -hmm. uh, we have to be able to sit with that or else that, the pain will get worse. The results of not sitting with it in that moment are actually way more detrimental oh, to absolutely. the person than just trying to quick, make a quick fix. That's good. Yeah, it's like, you know, um, pun intended, we have to allow the doubt, like the actual um, uncertainty of those moments, the unbelief to fracture our, 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 like our, 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 our stability to fracture our certainty. You know what I mean? Like the cognitive dissonance has to fracture our certainty at that point. And I, and so I think that, that like just in, in light of what both of you guys are saying, um, the safest place to do that though, has to be within community, it has to be within the church. Cause if, like, if I break my bone, the last place I want to be is in the middle of the wilderness by myself. You know what I mean? I want it like, like it's one thing to be a spiritual nomad and be on your journey, but make sure that you have rest stops along the way where you're, you're, you're communing with different people. And that hopefully our, our hope would be the church. Our hope would be like, that's what folks becomes is that space. And so like the sacrament of questioning creates for us as a community, that open space of possibility to say something new, something better can actually be formed, but we know not what. So as we come to the end of this round table, we just wanted to summarize because we had multiple voices speaking. And we found as well, we stepped into this passage and we stepped into the sacred act of questioning that this sacrament gives us room, not only for our own faith to be real, but for our own pain. Because we heard in the stories 
that it was the loss of something loved that moved us from that faith journey in the process from a three to a four. However, we didn't want to overvalue the act of questioning or certainty that both our spaces will come to in life. That was a process. It was secular. And so in this time that our doubt and our questioning creates the room that each person can step into so that Lily could rise out of the mud. So as we step into these next moments of being able to dialogue questioning, we want to remember that our doubt can be honest as we move from love and that'll give room for genuine faith to grow as we let go of the certainty of faith in order to be able to sit in the tension with the faithful in community.